0: Let's take our Bibles tonight to the book of Second Samuel. We've been preaching through the story of David's sin with Bathsheba and with Uriah. And now we have come to a point where the, the, the corner is about to be turned in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says there in verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee my, thy master's house, and thy master's wives, and thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and has taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And we'll read off leave, uh, leave off reading there. I want you to see first of all the very first sentence in the chapter. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. The first point to write down, if you're taking notes, is this. God lets us do what we want before he responds. The Lord did not send Nathan to David when David was walking on the roof of the king's house. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't send Nathan to interrupt the men who brought Bathsheba to the king's house. He didn't send Nathan when Uriah was sleeping on the palace steps. He didn't send Nathan when David made Uriah get drunk. He did not send Nathan to intercept the kill order that David sent to Joab. He let him live. He let him make his choices. Because here's the truth. David is on trial. God sat back and he watched what David would do. John Calvin is wrong. Men are not robots. They're not pre-programmed to carry out some predetermined action. By the way, that would only make God the author of sin. If men were carrying out what God had already dictated would come about. I know a lot of, there's a lot of people who have sinned a lot. And if God has ordained it all, there's no way to make that good. Also, it makes God out to be quite a monster. Because not only did he tell them to sin, he is telling people to ruin people's lives. Here's the truth. God allows men to sin. He allows Satan to tempt. He allows the world to do what the world's going to do. And he allows men to choose what they decide to do. Do they want to serve God or not? Why? Because God wants your love from the heart. That's why. God wants you to choose to do right. And you ever think about the fact that God catching you in the act is nothing more. Your parents catching you, your spouse, your children, your boss, whoever it might be, catching you in the act is sometimes preemptive. And sometimes it does nothing but interrupt what you are going to continue to do later. Look at James chapter 1. Hold your place there in Second Samuel if you would. Look at James chapter 1 verse 12. Our choices manifest our love. So, uh, James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation... For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that always do right. That's what we think. Promise to them that work hard and do their best. Well, that certainly is part of it, but that's a result of he gives the crown of life to them that love him. The crown is given not because someone obeyed or acted properly. Of course, that would follow your love for God, but that's not the reason that's given. Someone here loved the Lord enough to refuse sin. He endured temptation, and he did not sin. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Men are not rewarded because they have no choice, They're given crowns, they're given lands, they're given praise. Why? Because they have chosen to love God more than they love their sin. Temptation is not just a matter of doing right or wrong. It's a matter of, do you love God or do you love yourself more? It's where it comes down to. If I were to say this, well, to my wife, I were to say, listen... Okay, 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 I won't commit adultery. Fine. You're not going to let me have an affair, I guess. So I won't because it's wrong. I don't think my wife is interested in that kind of love. She wants me to love her because I choose to love her. How many have realized that choosing to love is not as always easy as it was when you were dating? Choosing to love is a choice no matter how hard it is. I can't say, well, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Life is hard. This marriage is harder than I thought it would be. This relationship is harder than I thought it would be. You know what I think? I think I deserve a little bit of sin. You know what? The, The pressure, the struggle, the stress only proves how real my love is. You think, if God God really loved me, if God wanted to help me get the victory, he would take this temptation away from me. God wants to see what choice you're going to make. Why would he take off the pressure when he knows it's going to reveal who you really love? Isn't it true in in a relationship that you want to know I don't know about you. When I was when I was a kid, sometimes you'd get these notes passed, Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. You remember those notes? Uh, I I didn't get very many of them. I can tell you that. I probably put out a whole lot more in the mail than I ever got back. Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. You know, everybody wants to know that. And some people are comfortable. They're they're okay with maybe for a while. Like I, you may not think I'm the greatest, but at least maybe there's a chance, right? You know what the Lord is doing? He wants to know every day. Do you love me? Yes or no? Maybe it's not even a choice. Maybe it's it's no. Do you love me? And he's not happy with, he's not going to be at peace with you in the sense of uh, filling you with joy, filling you with that fulfillment and contentment that we're looking for if he knows that your heart is not directed towards him. Temptation is not just right or wrong. It's who do I love? Jesus said, if you love me, what? If you love me, keep my commandments, right? But then he also says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So if I love myself, I'm going to give my sinful flesh what it craves, what it desires, and then I'm going to expect God to bless me anyhow. God, I want you, I'm just asking you to bless me. The Lord cannot bless you If you're serving your flesh, he's not going to do it. If I love the Lord, I'm going to do what pleases him. And every temptation is an opportunity to tell God who you love, yourself or him. Every time we give in to sin, we're saying, Lord, I just came to you for a fire escape to get out of hell. And uh, I just need you to take care of me. And uh, I want you to stop interfering with my life. I don't need you. Until I have a lot of a big problem and I can't I can't solve, so I'll come to you and I'll pray and I'll cry, but other than that, I've got this. I'll plan everything in my life. I've got my dreams, my goals, my I got everything. I got it all down. I'll even come to church. Stay off my back. Let me do my thing. That's not love for God. That's love for yourself. With God as fire insurance. When the Lord is not going to be happy, he's going to keep pushing. Have you ever felt in your Christian life, Lord, would you just let me coast for a while? Would you let me alone so I don't have to keep learning new lessons? People try to run from God. How how can you run from God when he's inside of you? Everywhere you go, you're going to take him with you. Your answer is not halfway across the country. Your answer is not a new job, a new wife, a new house, a new whatever. Oh, those, you know, having new and nice things, that's great. But that's not the answer. The answer is God created you for his pleasure and until you listen to him, hey, you said, Lord, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to save me from hell. I want you to make me your child. I want you to put me into the family of God. And, 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 and if you thought that somehow you were getting everything and God was getting nothing, you were mistaken. You're bought with a price. And I know we talk about how God loves you and God cares for you. And, and that is true. But may, may we not forget there's another side of this, too. When you stand at the altar and say, I do, it's not one person having their dreams fulfilled and the other person gets nothing. They get the privilege of fulfilling all that person's dreams. Sometimes we think that about God. I, I, I said, yes, Lord, you can, you can save me and you can be my my Lord and master. That means you get the privilege of making me deliriously happy every day, all day long. Does that, I mean... Does that even make you happy, trying to make yourself happy? Listen, God didn't create you for your pleasure. He created for his pleasure. He didn't save you for your mission and will. He saved you for his mission and will. And as believers, sometimes we get that mixed up, don't we? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, a lot of times we will try to make, we'll say, listen, you know, God, God is allowing these things in my life. But I want you to think about this. God lets you do what you want to do, and then he responds. Okay, so, so listen to these verses, Second Chronicles 32. Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him, speaking to one of the kings of Israel, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. Judges chapter 3, And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Some people say, well, I, if God doesn't want me to do it, he'll close the door. I, if the door is open, that's how I'll know it's God. Open doors, by the way, uh, are, are refer to the gospel, preaching the gospel in the Bible. Not, not the boss smiled, you know, the, 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 the guy that was the headhunter smiled at me, or the, the recruiter smiled, he, he, and that's how I knew, you know sometimes we get, I just hear people say, I just, the classic line, I just felt led. I just had peace about it in my heart. Where, where, I'm sorry, where was the peace? In your heart? That's a, t- that's a tough one, isn't it? That's not a scriptural position. It's not a scriptural position. It's people that are seeking to sanctify their own careless and lazy approach to the words of God. We're not told to follow these impressions. We're told to search the scriptures. We're not told to look for a path with no resistance. How do I know it was God's will? Because it was easy. Well, how, how do you explain Jesus Christ going to the cross? That was the will of God for him. It wasn't easy. We, 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 we're, we're so, how do I know that it's God's will? Because I want to do it. Well, what happens if your heart is deceived? God told us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What I'm saying here is, this is not a message on God's will, but, but notice here that the, the Lord allowed David to do what he wanted to do. He allowed his actions to play out completely, and then he made his choice to reward or to discipline him. And that's the way it's going to be with us. We're supposed to know the word of God, We're supposed to study the Word of God, and we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. We're supposed to be ready to deny our flesh what is sinful. Why? Because we love Jesus Christ, and we love him more than we love ourselves. We love him more than we love our desires. When temptation comes, God is not going to force you to choose the right thing. Satan cannot make you sin. Your flesh will scream and cry and tell you that there is no way you can survive if you don't get this. Your flesh is a screaming brat. I don't know, who, I don't know whose kid it was. I don't, know, I don't know anything about it. I just know yesterday, uh, I'm in the house, I'm trying to study, and there was a kid that I don't know what had happened, but apparently someone was extracting their toenails. That kid was screaming like a banshee. I mean, it was nonstop. And I just, I was sitting there. I thought, did someone take a re- somehow get a spiritual recorder and record my flesh? That <laughs> It's just screaming at the top of its lungs. And you know, what do we think as parents? If, if you've raised any kids, you might think, well, somebody needs to stop that. They need a swift kick in the posterior. They, they need someone to calm them down. They need someone to give them a timeout, whatever it might be. That's what you think. You know, it's a whole lot easier for me to think that about somebody else's kid. It's a lot easier for me to even think that about my own kid. I need to discipline my kid. and get the, It's not easy to think that about my own flesh. My flesh lies and tells me I will not make it another hour if you don't provide for me what I need. Not what I need, what I must have to survive. If, if I don't get to look at that, drink that, feel that, hear that, I will die. I, I don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your existence, spirit, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to shrivel up and die. That's what's going to happen. You say that's... An, if you've never fought the flesh, then you never heard it say that. If you've always just give in to your flesh and give your flesh whatever it wants to listen to, whatever it wants to watch, whatever it wants to put in his mouth, it's always going to be connected, but the five senses in some way... If you've never fought it, then maybe you've never had a problem. I find most kids are really happy as long as they get what they want. But it's when you say no, that's when we find out. When when temptation arises, no one can make you do wrong. If you're a child of God, no one can make you do wrong. Not even your flesh can make you do wrong because your flesh has been cut loose from the spirit. The spirit is autonomous. It is free of all interference. And here's the problem as believers. It's not whether or not it's true. It's whether or not we believe that it's true. You have a problem with anger. Well, why? Well, let me guess. Something to do with your ethnicity. Something to do with your dad and his anger problems. Something to do with, with your, that you haven't eaten anything. You haven't eaten anything. Right? You need to eat something. Or maybe you ate too much. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep. Or you, you have a lot on your plate. There's just a lot going on right now. Now listen, we all say these things. Why? We have to save face somehow. But the end, at the end of the, of the day, the, the truth is no one can make you lose your temper. No one can. Not even your flesh can force you to sin by losing your temper. But it's easy to do, isn't it? You have to believe that God has given you the power to do what is right. You have to cut yourself, realize that you have been cut loose from that. Hey, there's no reins on you anymore. No one's cracking a whip on you anymore. The chain has been disconnected. You are completely free. You do not have to sin. Do you believe that? You see, David David was not forced to do this. God sat back. And you might think, well, if God really didn't want me to see this or to have this, then why wouldn't he stop me? Maybe God is letting your iniquity fill all the way to the top and spill out so that you will understand it had nothing to do with anyone but yourself. We manifest our love either for the Savior or for sin. And God sits back And watches and then he responds that's why he sent nathan he waited until david had no reason whatsoever to say i'm innocent and now he sends nathan here's the second point and last point accountability will help us avoid self-deception accountability will help us to avoid self-deception Okay, what's the reason why David's anger was greatly kindled against this man? Did you see what he, what he said there? David's anger was greatly kindled, verse number 5, back in 2 Samuel 12. David's anger was greatly kindled. Okay, so Nathan comes in, and Nathan tells a story. Stories are very powerful. They can help. A rich man, he says, a rich man had everything he needed. He was, he was just rolling in money. But he used his power, his authority, to take the, the, the sole possession of a poor man. He said, I want what that poor man has, and so I can use my authority and power to take that thing that he has. The rich man did not love this, this thing that he was stealing. He didn't love it at all. It was just another acquisition for him. He had a habit of whatever he wanted, he got. Things didn't stay long on his Amazon wish list. It just, if he wanted it, he got it. He saw the lamb, so he wanted it. He had his own flocks and herds, but he didn't use those. He just wanted to take that. He thought, I don't know, he had something in his mind. Whereas the man who only had the lamb, he really loved that lamb. And that was the only thing that really, that's why he lived. It was the opposite, the complete opposite. It was the only thing that he loved, the only thing that he had, but he had no power to protect it. And so when David hears this story, it says David's anger, verse number 5, was greatly kindled against the man. Man, Nathan's not playing fair here. He pulled him in hook, line, and sinker, didn't he? This is why our heart cannot be trusted. Why? Because David shows this. He shows how someone can be absolutely outraged over the sin of other people and still not recognize that he has far greater sins in his own life. That's why we don't trust our heart. Here's how you know. When you're really mad, when people do things to you that you do to other people, I can't believe that they call themselves a Christian and do that and not realize what they've done. You say, well, I I would never do that. I'm not saying you've committed adultery and murder. I'm saying that It's easy to find. You once Someone told me this years ago, and it ruined me. It ruined me. Someone said that the thing that irritates me the most about other people is probably something that I do myself. You don't believe it, do you? You know why? Because your heart is deceived. The, The area in which you show no grace to someone else is probably because all the grace has been used up on you. You're showing grace to yourself because you do it. But you can't imagine that someone else would do it. You know, this is why Pharisees, by the way, the Bible says they, they look great on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. Very concerned about the, the paying the tithe and, of mint and anise and cumin, but have omitted weightier matters of the law, like mercy and faith and judgment. So you're very concerned about what someone is wearing, but not concerned about the, the heart of criticism that you carry with you everywhere you go. It's, it's easy to find, uh, to, to find someone's, uh, I can't believe that she would say that. Shut up in the back. Why she would always have that, I, she just doesn't stop talking. I have told you, right, they can't see the inconsistency because the heart is deceitful. We have to learn here that there's a danger that I can make God's commandment, commandments binding on you, but not on me. I demand. You ever heard someone say, I'm, I, I, I'm offended by that. I always, I always marvel at the people who, who say it like that. I am offended by that. As if somehow their life has come to a screeching halt because of what someone else has done to them. I'm, I am outraged by that. I can't understand how you could think that. That's, that's hypocrisy if you have to say it that way. It's hypocrisy. Why? Because what you're trying to sound like is superior, superior in your righteousness. I'm looking down. I can't believe she would ever do or say that. If you're talking like that, there's a really good chance that there's some sin in your life that no one's calling you out for. Maybe not in the moment. David, here, he is, he is outraged about this guy. He's outraged over somebody stealing a sheep and he stole a man's wife. He, why can't he see the inconsistency? He, he, he's furious because somebody had you know, robbed some property. It was wrong for sure, but he just put somebody to death. He killed a man. Not, worse than that, he, he hired a hitman to kill somebody. Why? All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Proverbs 28, verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a what? Fool. Trusteth in his own heart. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Let me ask you, when does the heart stop deceiving itself? What's the age? Is it 20? How many are over 20 and found your heart's deceived yourself? Anybody? Okay, is it 40? Is 40 the age? How many are over 40 realizing, nope, still deceived me at least once? All right, so is it 60? Is 60 the age where your heart stops deceiving you? Anybody over 60 has had your heart deceive yourself? I know it's embarrassing to raise your hand. I'm doing it for your flesh. (laughs) How about, is it 80? Is 80 the age where you no longer deceive yourself anymore? You know what I'm saying, right? Is that the age? Yeah, it's not the age, is it? You see, our heart is our heart. And here's what's crazy. Our heart will disguise itself as wisdom and experience, and street smarts, right? When really what it is, it's deceived itself. It's deceitful above all things. Does that even include Satan? I think it does. It's desperately wicked. It has no other desire but to be wicked and get its way. And so it's, it's frustrating for us because we think, well, what's the, what's the use then? I'll just be comatose. I'll just do nothing. That sounds like a deceived heart talking. Well, then I'll just, I, I, can't, I can't get away with anything. I guess the whole world, no, no. He said, Here, here's the answer. I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins. You can't trust your own heart. And so that's why you have to come to God. And God is very gracious in helping us ascertain, determine what's going on in our heart. You notice that the law did not demand death. The law did not demand death for taking a lamb. Watch what he says. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing, done what thing? Stole a lamb. This man shall surely die. You know, the law did not demand death for a lamb. It did demand death for adultery and for murder, right? You know what that means? When you find yourself outraged over other people and their sin and their wickedness, be careful. Be careful. Because you could be writing your own death warrant. You could be writing the judgment that God is going to put in your own life. How do I know that? David lost four of his family members. He didn't even maybe realize that he was talking about people. He thought he was talking about a sheep. And he wanted to put a guy to death for killing a sheep, for stealing a sheep. And God was saying, no, 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 I'm talking about people. And you're going to pay four people for what you did. And he did. He lost four people in his family. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It's like a kid eating vegetables. You know, chocolate. Candy just goes down like the hatch all day long. Straining at something really small. What did the Lord say? Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? So we go, we sin, and then we go further into sin, and then we, we cover it up, and then we add layers of deceit to it, and we're completely trapped, and and, and and we do not see our actions because it's us that's doing it. We don't love anybody else enough to excuse their failures, but we love ourselves enough to excuse all of our failures. You ever see somebody caught you know, caught in a fault and said, I don't, I, how can they not see what they're doing? How can they not see? The same reason we can't see it in our own lives. When something that's very obvious to God, very obvious to other people, we can't see it because the heart is deceitful. And this is why accountability is so important. This is why fellowship and preaching is so important. Well, I'll just stay home and watch it on television. Some of you are watching on TV, uh, on, on live stream tonight. And you should be here. You should be here. Now, some can't help it. They have to work, or they, they're, they're infirm, or whatever the case might be. Uh, but we've uh, considered cutting the live stream off. Why? We don't want to facilitate people doing things they should not do. Did you know the Bible never commands the church to live stream services? Well, I think it would be very unkind and very ungracious. I think it's very wrong to not come to church. Amen? Now, here's one where you can say Amen. You're here, amen? amen? I think it's wrong not to go to church. Amen. amen. Isn't that amazing? But 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 we, we come up with all kinds of excuses. And we keep pushing it. And further and further and further we go. You need fellowship with the believers. Because you need to be reminded that you're not the only Christian. And that it does matter what you do with your life. You need Christian friends who are more spiritual than you. If you hang out with people who think just like you and don't challenge you in the things of God, then you need to get new friends. Amen. I don't care if your friends are the coolest in the world. Drop them. Get rid of your friends. Now, you don't have to tell them, you're not spiritual enough for me. Here's what you do. You make excuses until they stop asking. That's how you stop hanging. Isn't that how you stop hanging out with the people who are more spiritual than you? That's how you do it with people who are less spiritual than you. Everybody, we all know, we all know who is more spiritual than us and who is less spiritual than us. When I say spiritual, I don't mean more valuable. A person who is more consecrated to God and a person who is less consecrated to God. You need to get shed, as they say down in West Virginia, you need to get shed of your friends who are not consecrated to God. Now, I didn't say you stop reaching out to lost people. I didn't say you don't try to work work with them and try to see them safe. I'm talking about people that you share your heart with and you share a mindset with, that you open up your mind to. Those people need to be a little bit further up the chain. Now, some of you young couples, here's what you need to do. You need to make friends with older couples. Why? Because your friends don't know enough to guide you. They don't. You need to stop hanging out with people just like you all the time. You will not grow. But you know, that's the reason why we don't do it. We don't want to grow. We just want to hang out. We just want to chill. And what happens is our friends influence us. You know that Nathan was a friend to David. He was a prophet. And you know, remember that, that, that David said he wanted to build a house, and Nathan said, that's a great idea. Go for it. God is with you. And then God sent him back to say, oh, no, actually, we're going to put a, you know, a slowdown on that. This was not a welcome, interesting visit for for Nathan. He was not excited about making this trip. But he was a true friend to David because he came to David and he told him a story. He caught David in this story and said, I caught you, David. You're the bad guy that you hate. That's a real friend. Preaching is so vital. You need to go to you need to go to a church where the where the preacher does not always make you feel like a hundred bucks. I, I'm, I I don't want to be a jerk, and I know that I'm I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I know that as a person, I, I like to laugh, I like to have fun, uh, I like to joke around. I mean, I, I I love to tell jokes. I try to remember them and try to tell everybody I know every joke that I know. Eventually, you know that about me. But at the end of the day, my job is not for you to like me. My job is to point you to the Word of God, and to point you believers to the judgment seat of Christ. That's my job. You may not want to hang out with me all the time because of that. You may not think I'm cool. You may not like to, you know, to hey, let's go, let's go do this and that. And by the way, I love to go and do things and hang out with people. I love all that stuff. But I know it's weird sometimes. Here's the preacher. Unsaved people, they're like sorry from the language. <laughs> I guess. I guess it's okay to cuss when nobody's around, right? But a preacher comes, oh, we better shut up when I'm get in trouble. It's funny, isn't it? We do funny stuff. But, you know, my job is in some ways to point out that you stink. How, how do you think that makes a guy like me feel when I know I stink? It doesn't matter. That's the job. And that's your job if you're going to be a good friend. If you're going to have people who like you and think you're the greatest and like all, everything you do and thumbs up and heart everything that you do, okay, fine, you can just get anybody. By the way, very few of those people are your friends. They only like your stuff, so you'll like their stuff. That's all that is. Amen? All right, it's amazing, the, the machinations of social media. I don't even understand it. There's like protocol, how you can unfollow, you can't follow, you can hide, and how you can't you know, uh, let people know straight up, and then they public shaming, and I don't know what it is. Um, but, but I know this, you need friends that will call you out and you ought to be married to somebody that you will allow to call you out without freaking out. If your spouse cannot call you out without you throwing a fit or going into cold shoulder mode for the rest of the week, you need to grow up. And I didn't say it was easy. If your spouse calls you out for something that you know they know is right and you know is right, and you either lose your mind in anger or you stop talking to them for the rest of the week to prove... Prove what? To prove that they're wrong? It doesn't prove that they're wrong just because you stop talking to them. Amen? Are we shaving too close tonight? Listen... Guys, we have to learn that God's the faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. People who always like to be close enough to kiss you and like you and stroke your hair and hug you and call you all these wonderful things. They're not your friends if they've never called you out. And if you don't like when people say to you, I don't agree with what you did. There's nothing that, that, that burns my biscuits more than when someone doesn't agree with my opinion and won't back off of it and says, I think you're wrong in that. Boy, that ticks me off. So what I do, I burn their house down. <laughs> I did that so much, somebody finally burned my house down. No. You know what I have to go away and I have to say, okay, okay, we're going to separate out. My emotions, how I feel about this. And then we're going to put we're put that in a big pile. And then we're going to put this over here in the pile. What they said, is it true? Is it true? If it's not true, then it goes over in the pile with the emotions. And it can be thrown out in the garbage. But if it is true, I don't want to run from it. I'd rather you tell me the truth, even if it hurts me. It's going to make me feel like garbage today. But over time, it's going to help me. That's why some of you can't, you can't have relationships. Because anytime anybody challenges your omnipotence, you run into another room and say, I'm sorry, I just can't. As if somehow that's true. It's not true that you just can't. You won't. It's not the same thing. I, I, I don't want to talk. I, 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 I can't. I can't. I'm just really struggling. Okay, here we go with the manipulation again, right? We've got to learn that God allows people in our lives to say, stop. And they're a blessing to us. Not just because they baked us an apple pie. Hey, that's also a blessing. Amen. But he said, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. It won't be right now a kindness. It doesn't feel like it at all. But in two months from now, when I've gotten that thing right with God, and right with other people, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Now, I understand in a, in a marriage, there's such a thing as a protocol, the right way to talk to people, to one another. I understand that. And, and I don't think it's the job of the wife to say, listen, bud, sit down, I've got something to tell you. Now you're going to listen to me, and you're going to listen good. By the way, I don't think that's what the husband needs to be doing to the wife either. But I do think truth is valuable in any relationship. Any relationship, it has to be founded on the truth. Are we just meddling too much here? Is that why everybody's quiet? Are we okay? All right. I I promise you, I did not have a recorder in your house. I had a recorder in my house. Why? I'm no different than anybody else. Every relationship is the same because it's dealing with people. Just a matter of time before something has to be dealt with. And maybe you run from it because your mom and dad ran from it. Maybe you refused to change. I don't know. I know this. It was a blessing from God that Nathan came to David and said, Thou art the man. Could it be a blessing from God right now, that person you cannot stand, that will not back off and will not give in and say, Okay, okay, you're right, you're right, I see. They just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And maybe in the nicest, most irritatingly gracious way, they keep saying you're wrong. All I know is this. If you want to keep on going down the path that David was on and that trajectory and find out what happens at the end, go ahead, not me. I say, Lord, take one of my limbs before you do that. Lord, if you need to take one of my, my, my eyes, <laughs> Lord, if, you, if you've got to take my, my health, Lord, I, 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 I want to stop right here. Please, God, don't let me deceive myself anymore. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. Luke chapter 19. We all know wrong when we see it, but we just seldom see it in ourselves. How often do we find that these hidden sins in our lives become, cause us to become very harsh and critical and intolerant of other people? They are guilty of much less than we are. We become stern and become demanding. Accountability will help us avoid self-deception. So I ask you this question in closing. Do you have Nathans in your life? Honest friends who can see you for who you are? They can see what you cannot see in your life? When's the last time you asked your friend to say, is there something in my life that is not pleasing to God that you're afraid to tell me? Is there something that I'm doing that I should not be doing? Will you tell me? You ought to have at least one friend like that. Does that person have the ability to speak boldly in your presence? Or do you turn away from friends like that and say, I don't want to hang out with them. They don't like me. They're not nice to me. They just don't have enough grace. Do you push them to the side because you can't handle what you know in in your heart That they will say is true. All of us need those people. All of us need a Nathan who can walk in. Maybe after a couple year, months ago, we were hanging out, grilling out, having fun, laughing, but today it's a different day. Today, Nathan has to come in and has to do what is uncomfortable for him. Let me ask you this Have you ever been a Nathan to one of your friends? Have you ever been able to stand in the presence of one of your friends or sit across a cup of coffee from a dear friend or relative and say, I need to share something that's very important? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I don't think you need to make that your national ministry, where every day you look for someone that needs to be told the difficult truth. No, that's the Gestapo, not friends. Friends. But if you're really a friend, you ought, to, you ought to be able to receive that admonition from Nathan. And God helping you, you ought to be able to give that admonition. There's some of you here tonight that have done that for me. And I thank you for that. We're still friends. And, matter of fact, we're probably better friends than we were because of that please don't do it unless god tells you to do it i'm a weak i'm a weak man i can't handle it but i can tell you this if you've prayed about it and you're convinced that it is what god wants please do it and i would challenge you to pray this god i don't want to be rebuked i don't want to be called out on the carpet I don't want to feel vulnerable, but God, I want to be right with you and I want to show my love for you and not myself. And if that means you've got to send a Nathan to stick his bony finger in my face and say, Thou art the man, then God, I'm willing. Give me the strength, give me the courage to face the truth. I can promise you, if you pray a prayer like that, you are growing in your Christian life. God is honored and pleased with you. Why? Because he knows this, as far gone as you may be, there's a chance for God to work in your heart. We're turning the corner now, and we see how God sat back and let David do his thing, and then in his mercy, he sent a Nathan. He sent Nathan to say, thou art the man. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me tonight?